Yeah, this is a talk on rest this morning, and I hope some of you mums get a little bit of Sabbath rest as well as you looked after. Um, but uh, yeah, second in our series on Sabbath, and as Graham's already said, rest is the focus. Um, and last week, Brian started us off really well on this topic, and um, he, he, he made me chuckle on more than one occasion, I'll be honest, but um, particularly his stories of his youth. And they were so similar to my own upbringing. I could so relate to him not being allowed to have an ice cream on a Sunday. And I will have to say that personally, um, I really did have a sort of love-hate relationship with Sundays. Or was it a hate-love or was it just hate? Uh, anyway, um, my, my parents attended a Plymouth Brethren Church, and their view of Sundays was, it was the Sabbath, and you should not do thine own pleasure on the Sabbath day. And that meant it was boring. Um, there was no TV. There was no sport. It seemed like there was no nothing. Um, but my father was probably a little bit more moderate than some in the church in his views. And um, there was the time that he took the family to the beach on a Sunday afternoon um, to uh, let us let off steam. And um, there were three fairly boisterous boys in my family and two girls who are probably even more boisterous than the boys. And so to be able to, well, we used to live up in North Norfolk near Burnham Overy, and to be able to walk down Overy Bank on a Sunday afternoon, which is about a mile, and then run about up and down the sand dunes was a really good way of tiring us out. Now, the only problem was on the way back, um, we were almost to the car park when my father saw the brethren holding an open-air meeting on the quayside. And the problem was the car was parked just the other side of where they were having their open-air meeting. And he refused to walk past them because he didn't want to be seen coming back from the beach on a Sunday. And so the family had to hide behind this old barge until the brethren had finished their service, packed up and gone home. Then he would walk past the spot where they were to get back to the car. And I can remember waking up on a Sunday morning and then being hit by the realization that it was Sunday. And I think my reaction was, oh no, it's Sunday. And I think I would quite honestly have rather it had been a school morning. That's how much I hated Sundays. But it was interesting how my father gently moderated in his views um, over the years. And I think it started when Match of the Week came on Anglia TV. Now, those who are my age will remember Match of the Week, Sunday afternoon, when one of the teams from the Eastern Region was featured. And it's usually Norwich or Ipswich, Sometimes it was another team that no one was really interested in, like Colchester United. Um, but more often than not, it was Norwich or Ipswich. And when my father realised there was a chance of watching Norwich play, somehow it became all right to watch sport on a Sunday. And I can remember the conversation. Why is it OK to watch football on a Sunday? And his reply was, well, it's only a recording. They're not really playing. They played yesterday, so that's okay. Uh, 
And my memories of sort of Sabbath observance were generally quite confusing as to what was allowed and what wasn't. What was God going to get angry at? And where were the boundary lines? And and I'm so glad we've been able to leave all that legalistic stuff behind. Now, as a church, I don't think we hold to any legalistic view of the Sabbath now. And I'm guessing that by the number of you I see in Tesco straight after the service. (laughs) In fact, it almost seems required uh, that you go to Tesco when you leave here. We, we, we called in the other week, and the family were coming for tea, and we needed to pick up a few bits and pieces. And, you know, I've never taken so long to pick up a packet of crumpets. We, every aisle we went up, we seemed to see somebody who'd just come out of church and had a conversation. It took ages. And if the rapture had come, Tesco's would have emptied. <laughs> That might be a slight exaggeration. Rosemary tells you off for exaggerating sometimes. It would have half emptied, okay? Now, why is, why is it okay to go to Tesco on a Sunday when under the Old Testament, breaking the Sabbath would have meant the death penalty? I'm not joking. Sabbath breakers were to be put to death under the Old Testament law. Now, is it just that we, we know better now? Is it that the church has moved on, become a bit more modern, it's become relevant. Um, And what do we do when we have a question like that? Well, we have to go back to the Bible. We have to find the answer in the Bible. It's not good enough just to just say, oh yeah, we're moving on, you know, we know better now. We have to ground what we believe in Scripture. So we're going to spend a bit of time in the Bible this morning. You won't be surprised, this is church. Um, And one of the places we'll be looking is the book of Hebrews. Um, Now, nobody's really sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, several theories, but whoever it was had a really good understanding of the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah when he prophesied that there would be a new covenant, a new promise, a new way. It it was coming. And this is what he says. Have we got the... Oh, that screen's gone off. I can't see what I'm looking at. Okay, yeah. This is what he says. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So what he's saying is, the old rules about keeping the Sabbath and many other rules about sacrifices and the old way of worship were all going to disappear and become obsolete. Now, Paul, he sort of picks up on this and he explains it this way. He says, it's a bit like marriage. Now, when two people marry, they obviously agree to marry, and there is a a covenant. There's an agreement between them. But when one of the partners dies, the living one is no longer held to that agreement. They're free. They can remarry if they want to or not. They're free. Now, when we become a Christian, Paul tells us we die. We die to our old way of life. We die to our old earthly nature. And Paul gives us a list of all the things that the old nature represents. He talks about anger and rage and malice, immorality, all those kinds of things. Paul says, all that stuff, it dies. And this is what he says. He says, for you die to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, if you've forgotten the last bit, can you just pick up on this bit? Because it's really important. Your real life is hidden with 
Christ in God. And we'll come back to that. So this is what baptism is all about, which is quite appropriate as we're looking forward to baptism at Easter. You know, it's symbolic of going down into the grave. You go down into that hole in the ground under the water. And then you rise up as a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, which we've heard already this morning. And because we die to the old self, the old way of doing things no longer has any hold on us. The old rules no longer apply. They are gone forever and we are free. And Paul uses that lovely phrase, the glorious freedom of the children of God. Now just look at the next bit that Paul says. And I I love this bit because it, it does actually sum up what I've just been talking about. When you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. Okay? You were buried. And you were raised up with him through your faith in God's power that was shown when he raised Christ from the dead. Same power that raised Christ will raise you into your new life. When you were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self... God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all your sins. He cancelled the debt which listed all the rules we failed to follow. He took away that record with its rules and nailed it to the cross. God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority. With the cross he won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless. So do not let anyone make rules for you about eating and drinking, or about a religious feast, a new moon festival, or a Sabbath day. Got that? Or a Sabbath day. These things were like a shadow of what was to come, but what is true and real has come and is found in Christ. Now, do you remember once before that we said that everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. That's always the focus. All the rules and regulations, they were just a shadow pointing to Jesus until the real thing came. And now the real thing is here, Jesus. That's what it was all about. And Brian reminded us last week that we are followers of the way, and the way is Jesus. So, Paul says, don't let anyone judge you about how you spend the Sabbath day. The rules are gone. They're nailed to the cross. You can go to Tesco. <laughs> or, or Morrison's or Ollie or, you know, other supermarkets are available. Um, let's just have a little sip of water. I do find that my mouth gets dry nowadays. And I did ask my dentist... Why do I find my mouth gets dry nowadays? He said, it's your age. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Yeah. What can I do about it? Nothing. Just have water available. Okay. Right. So that's why I've got the bottle. Anyway. Now, okay, you can go to Tesco on a Sunday. No one's going to judge you. But. Now, don't you hate it when someone says, but. And there is a But. Now, what I just want to actually qualify with that is when God finished his creation, he rested. Now, why did God rest? It wasn't because he was exhausted. He didn't need to put his feet up. It wasn't because it was hard work. Now, speaking humanly, if I have time in the garden and I do some hard work, one of the things I love to do is to come in, put my feet up when I'm tired and have a cup of tea. God didn't need to do that. 
He doesn't get tired. The Bible tells us that. He is awesome in power. He didn't need a rest. So why did he rest on the seventh day? Well, I think it's very simple. He was establishing a principle. It wasn't a principle just for the sake of making silly rules and not being allowed an ice cream on a Sunday or anything of that sort. He established something that he knew would be good for us. Now, when God makes the rules in the Bible, it's so often because he knows what's good for us. He's a good God. And the principle here is, it is good for us. It's good for our health. It's good for our well-being to stop, to have a break, to have a day off. Now, it does seem to be hardwired into us that we need a day off once a week. And I think God actually put it there. It's there by design. And personally speaking, if we ignore that, then it doesn't do us any good. God's always got a, a well-being at heart. You, you realize that, don't you? He's always for us. He's not about you know, trying to trip us up with, um, uh, are we keeping stupid rules or anything, tick box exercise. That's just not what he wants. He wants what is good for us. He's a good God. Now, any history buffs here will know, sorry if I'm boring you with a bit of history, but after the French Revolution, the French Revolutionary Government decided to abolish the seven-day week. And instead, they implemented a ten-day week. Now, there are reasons they did this, but one of the main ones was atheistic in its intent, and that was to get away from the influence of the church and also the religious history that went behind the seven-day week. They also hoped it would increase productivity because people would work for nine days and have a rest instead of working for six days and have a rest. But it didn't work. It wasn't God's design. Productivity didn't go up. And from what I've read, it actually went down because all they got was a tired, grumpy, and resentful workforce. So in 1806, they went back to the traditional God-sanctioned calendar, if you like. It does us good to have a day off. Now, it might not even be a Sunday. You know, if you're a key worker, you may have to work on a Sunday. Other jobs, you'll have to work on a Sunday sometimes. If you're actually part of the team that makes Sunday happen here, you probably don't think Sunday's a day of rest because people have been here since goodness knows when, practicing and setting up and doing all the stuff that makes this happen. So if you, know, you don't find Sunday's a day off, have another day. But it's important to stop. It's a God-established principle. I actually do believe that. So I mentioned this morning, my focus is rest. Yes, it's good to have a rest. It's good for us. But who remembers that we said a while back that what we find in the Old Testament in a kind of physical form so often points to a greater, fuller, spiritual fulfillment in the New Testament or in the New Covenant. Now, we just read that the Old Testament regulations were just a shadow of the reality that is to come. So what is the reality of Sabbathness under the New Covenant? Now, we all know there are seven days a week. We're not living under the 10-day French um, format. Um, we have a seven-day week. And we're not just concerned with one day because what happens on the other six days under the new covenant is just as important. Now, it may surprise you to find that under the new covenant, every day is a Sabbath day. 
Now, when I make a sweeping statement like that, again, we have to ground it in Scripture. So let's focus on what the Sabbath is meant to get us focusing on. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus, you know, he performed the greatest work ever. It was greater than creation. It was greater than all the miracles that led to the Exodus. It was greater than some of the works that Elijah or Elisha performed. It was greater than anything that ever went before. And the work that Jesus actually performed, again, we can find in the book of Hebrews. If I just put the next scripture up. Then he said, no, this is Jesus. Then Jesus said, here I am, O God, to do your will. So God does away with all the old sacrifices and puts the sacrifice of Christ in their place because Jesus Christ did what God wanted him to do. We are all purified from sin by the offering that he made of his own body once and for all. Every Jewish priest performs his services every day and offers the same sacrifices many times. But these sacrifices can never take away sins. Christ, however, offered one sacrifice for sins, an offering that is effective forever. And then he sat down at the right side of God. There he now waits until God puts his enemies as a footstool under his feet. With one sacrifice then, he has made perfect forever those who are purified from sin. So you see... The Old Testament priests, they would work day after day sacrificing animals. And they thought it actually dealt with their sin. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, it doesn't. Their work was ineffective at getting at the sin problem. But look what the work of Jesus accomplished. It says, he offered one sacrifice for sins, an offering that is effective forever. That was the perfect sacrifice. That dealt with sin once and for all. We can't add to it. It doesn't matter if I buy an ice cream on a Sunday or not. It doesn't add to the sacrifice that Jesus performed for us, for you and for me. And what did he do then after he had fulfilled that great work? tells us he sat down. He sat down. He sat down at the right-hand side of his father. Now, there is great significance in that act of sitting down because it meant that his work is finished. You cannot improve on the work of salvation. It's finished. There's nothing left to do. Jesus has entered his rest. But here's the good news, and this is the really good news. We get to go too. We get to enter the rest along with Jesus. Hebrews 4 talks about our Sabbath rest won for us by Jesus. And so, is that the right one? No. We are. Yeah. Oh, sorry, we're both doing it, are we? You, you do it. 
That's the one, yeah. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, the example of disobedience um, that the writer was talking about there is when the Israelites didn't enter the promised land. And they didn't go in because they didn't believe the promise that God was giving to them. They asked questions. What about the giants? What about those great big city walls? What about their armies? You know, and they didn't believe the promise. So they were the uh, ones who were disobedient. And I want to say this morning, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Believe the promise that comes through Jesus. That Jesus has performed the perfect work and he has cancelled forever your sin and he has nailed it on the cross and that gives you the right of entry into the throne room along with Jesus isn't that amazing see under the new covenant it's not about keeping silly rules that pleases God Uh, the main thing God is interested in is what do we do with Jesus What do we do with his son? Do we believe the perfect sacrifice that is effective at at cancelling sin, taking away our sin forever? And if we believe, if we believe the promise, we get to follow Jesus into our Sabbath rest. Now, some people believe that means just when we die, but I think the writer of Hebrews tells us that we get to go there now. And Hebrews 10. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now what does that mean for us today? Well I think for me it means that whatever I go through here on earth my soul is safe because my soul is hidden with Christ on high. This isn't where my citizenship is. My citizenship is with Jesus in heaven. It means I should, I should try to approach Everything on this earth from my position of Sabbath rest. Now that's a position of trust. It's a position of peace. It's a position of knowing that Jesus is sovereign and I can trust him implicitly. Whatever storms are raging down here, my soul is safe with Christ on high. Now there's a scripture that says we don't grieve as the rest of mankind who have no no hope. Now we do grieve, of course we do. Part of life is about grief, sadly, that is the reality. But we also have hope and we know We know that one day everything will be restored. What happens down here is only temporary. But can I suggest that we we expand that scripture over all parts of our life. We have that same hope, whatever we go through in this life. And we know anxiety, stress, 
worry, fear, mental health issues. They're endemic in our society because people are not at rest. They have no peace and so often they have no hope. Now, Jesus invites us into his Sabbath rest. And he invites us today. Scripture tells us today he invites us into that Sabbath rest. And that means we view everything in this life through his perspective from that position of rest and trust. Now, under the new covenant, we don't work and then have a rest. As followers of Jesus, we come from a position of rest and we work out of that. Does that make sense? It's a very different upside-down way of looking at things. See, resting in him is a position of trust and of simple faith in his goodness. You know, I wish I'd realized that much earlier in my life. It would have saved me so much stress. Now, some here will remember Gerald. It doesn't seem possible. It's over 10 years now since uh, Gerald was taken from us far too early. But Gerald had a saying that I often think back to. And whenever there was a difficult situation, there was a problem, there was something you couldn't see your way through, Gerald would always give me a very profound piece of advice. Don't worry, God will sort it. That was his advice. Don't worry, God will sort it. And you know, he did. In Gerald's experience, that was always the case. And I learned a lot from that. It's just simple trust, isn't it? And you know, that's what God loves. Simple trust in his promise. Hebrews 10, it goes on to say this. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now, we do well to follow the example of Jesus. That's what this is all about. Now, when Jesus was on earth, we know that he spent much of his time finding quiet places to be alone with his Father, to pray, and to rest. Even Jesus needed to rest. But what he did in his ministry came out of those times of rest. And I love the story of Jesus in the boat. And I know most of you will know it well. But Jesus was in the boat when this almighty storm blew up on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples were there as well. But Jesus was resting. How could he rest during a storm? He was asleep at the back of the boat. And there was a storm raging. But see, the thing is, there was no storm in Jesus. The disciples were in the storm. They were the ones who were panicking. Jesus, how come you're asleep? We're all going to drown. What are you doing? But, you know, the thing is, Jesus knew God's promise and he knew his destiny. He knew his destiny was not to die in a storm, wasn't to drown in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. So he was at peace. But out of compassion for his disciples, I think he did calm the storm. He told the wind and the waves to obey him. Peace be still. He didn't need to do that. He knew his father was sovereign, but he had compassion on his panicking disciples. Now, who knows that sometimes Jesus takes us out of the storm. Sometimes he asks us to trust him in the storm. Now, I'm part of a WhatsApp group with uh, many people from my youth who used to be in our church um, when I was a kid. And it's amazing how many of them are still going on with their faith. That's really reassuring. Um, but someone started a discussion recently about some of their favorite lines out of hymns. And it's amazing how many of the hymns that we've grown up with were actually written out of times of real hardship, pain, and adversity. 
And someone in the group mentioned the hymn which we still sing, It Is Well. And many of you, of you will know the story. There's a chap called Horatio Spafford. He was um, American. He was a very successful attorney, and he was a property investor, but he lost a fortune in the great Chicago fire of 1871. Much of his property was destroyed. So he then thought a vacation would do his family good. He sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, and he planned to follow them once he'd finished with some rather pressing business. However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and it sunk. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio Spafford's daughters. And his wife, Anna, was rescued. Uh, now, she was then taken to England, and when she got there, she sent a telegram to her husband that began, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio then immediately set sail for England. He got on the next boat, and at one point during the voyage, the captain of the ship, who was aware of the tragedy that had struck his family, he called Horatio to the bridge, and he told him, we're just going over the spot where your four daughters were drowned. And at that point, Horatio Spafford wrote the words that we still sing today, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And it was well with his soul. He knew that his soul was safe because it was with Jesus. And whatever Satan throws at us or life throws at us, we do have that assurance that nothing can touch our soul because we are at rest in Jesus. He knew where to find rest and he knew where to find peace. There's a scripture I just want to finish with and it's this one, the words of Jesus. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you a new car, a nice house, children that never argue, rest. It's a gift, and it's an amazing gift. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the promise. You know, this world so needs to find rest, doesn't it? And it's the rest that comes from knowing that Jesus is sovereign God. We can enter the throne room. We can sit in his lap. We can tell him our worries, our burdens, our, our heart cries, our deepest secrets, and our dreams. That's a, an amazing privilege to be able to enter the throne room and sit in the lap of Jesus there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's a gift. It's our inheritance. And it was won for us by that incredible work that Jesus did for us, that sacrifice on the cross. And we know where to find that rest, don't we? It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. Shall we just pray? When, we, when I was preparing this morning, I just knew that uh, there are some here that this was going to be so relevant for because you need peace. Your soul needs to find 
rest. And I want to just take a moment of quiet and just ask the Holy Spirit to come. And if you can just have a look at those words on the screen again, if you'd put them up, Hannah, that last scripture. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and just take those words and write them on your heart. Take them down into your innermost being. Now, it's not just about knowing them up here. Just ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation of what they really mean deep down inside. Because, as I said, there are some of you who really need to find that rest. And you need to find that peace that Jesus promises. You need to find that place in the Father's lap. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. We just thank you for everything that you won for us on the cross. Thank you that your work is finished. Thank you that you have gone into the throne room. You've entered your Sabbath rest, but you invite us to join you. And Jesus, I want to say, I'm coming too. And I want to pray for those here who haven't made that step yet. You need to go to find your place of peace and your place of rest at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are an awesome God.